How are we doing today? Happy New Year. Happy New Year, right? Yeah, we had a big celebration last night for all of our Asian friends, and there are about, a, I think, a hundred of us here. If I look like a dumpling this morning, we ate a lot of dumplings last night. I mean, does anybody know how many dumplings were actually made? More than a thousand. I was told if you didn't eat 10 or 15, that uh, I, I didn't get to 10, I can tell you that, but uh, for a reason. Any, anyhow, it was a great time. Um, some of the balloons that went up to the ceiling, because we had balloons, and they were out in the foyer ceiling, and I thought, somebody's going to come and see those balloons this morning, but they disappeared. I was thinking about bringing a BB gun or something to get them down before you got here, and then I thought, nah, uh, we'll leave them there and see who notices. But you obviously didn't notice, so that's, uh, that's a good thing. Peps is back. Peps. Great to see you. Cameroons is your home, right, Peps? Cameroons? My favorite footballer is from Cameroons. Favorite football, Robert Miller. If you've ever seen Cameroons football, it's incredible. They're fast and they're aggressive. And, and they've won. I think they won World Cup once, so good. Thanks, Peps. Appreciate it. Glad you're home. <laughs> Jenny, you want to come on up? We, uh, some of you, uh, how many of you are on the prayer chain, by the way? Great. Well, then you saw the name Jenny Wu the other day. Jenny, come on up here. So did you know who Jenny Wu was? Okay, well, now you do. This is Jenny Wu, and she's still in Canada. Yeah. Right. Okay. Jenny, you have a couple words you want to say? Yeah. Sure. Please. Sorry about that. The last three, uh, last three days uh, is the darkness and sadness days uh, in my life. Uh, um, I, my husband ca came uh, from China for Chinese New Year. Then, uh, then we uh, went to Cuba for vacation. Then three days, uh, uh, three days ago, we uh, came back. Then in the border, in the uh, bo uh, border office, uh, we have a com uh, conversation as usual. Then, because my English is too bad, so maybe uh, uh, the agent of his, uh, the agent confused. Then he will send me back to China at once. Oh, I feel I, it, it drives me mad. Yeah, I, I don't know how to do. Uh, but uh, maybe I uh, uh, mentioned my son, so he gave me uh, he gave me one day to. Uh, uh, collect some letter to approve I am a son's mother and I uh, do some volunteer here. I think only one day and you know a Friday is a PA day. I don't know who can give me the letter and uh, the yeah I, 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 I uh, did uh, volunteer in Food for Life but I'm all, only a volunteer. I only pack some bag. Who care me? So, so I don't know uh, if I can get the letter. So uh, I, call, I called Eve. Then Eve said, okay, I write a letter for you. Then, okay, uh, the, uh, Alice and uh, Chris, they went to 
mission trip. Oh my God, who can get me the letter? So he, she said, uh, Louis is here. Oh, okay. Then, then, then um, uh, if uh, call Lou and, uh, you know, Friday is, uh, is a holiday, then I get uh, six letters, six letters, six letters uh, from my ESL teacher uh, and from the pastor uh, and from my classmates and from the uh, Food for Life, um, Food for Life, uh, I think maybe uh, the, the, the director, uh, Carol, is, she is just my ESL teacher. Yeah, I think uh, maybe God bless me uh, because I don't know the result because it's not depend on me. It's depend on the agent if he be believed to me. But yesterday, Lou and Margaret, they drive more than 100 kilometers to my house and take me to the airport. And uh, in the in the way to airport, Margaret, uh, uh, she uh, give me music. God make the way. <laughs> the song is just I uh, I sang in the Christmas day. Yes, it's Christmas choir. I I stand here and sang the song. Yeah, when the music comes. It gave me more stress. If even I know I didn't make any mistakes, but I need stress. So in the music, I get many, many powerful. Yeah. So I mean, I thank them, and I got the best result. I think if the agent will not send me back, it's the best result. Maybe they will uh, give me only 30 days because they uh, uh, hasn't believed me. So maybe they give, give me uh, 30 days, then I prepare here, then I must come back. But uh, after he, uh, three days ago, they uh, tear, yes, tear my uh, visa, tear my visa. Then yesterday, he print another new visa as uh, before, give me. It's the best result. Oh, I, I, I can't believe. <laughs> and yesterday, when we come into the uh, office, then uh, my family, my, me, uh, my husband and, uh, and my son, and Lou, uh, we uh, came into the office. Then the uh, one agent uh, uh, shout, why so many people? <laughs> then uh, Margaret said, they are family. Me and Lou, we are family. <laughs> yes, uh, it thinks uh, not impossible, but indeed, we are family. Yeah. Thank you, Lou. We just want you to know God answers prayer. And if you've never been in the kind of situation Jenny's talking about, uh, somebody takes your passport. I've had it happen on a couple of times. 
you're in a foreign country, your visas run out, somebody takes your passport, uh, you're persona non grata. You're in a lot of trouble, and uh, you need God. And that song we just thought about as we were singing on the way in, um, God will make a way. And we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and thank you for praying. God answers prayer, and God knows that uh, we need Jenny here at Oak Ridge for a while yet. So uh, welcome home. We've got Peps back today. We've got Jenny uh, today. This is a great day, and uh, we just want to thank God for that. Tonight we get home the missions team, I think. Uh, Chris said about midnight or something like that. Uh, the way planes have been flying lately, maybe not midnight. I don't know. We'll leave that up to Larry and, and the guys to figure out when the planes are going to get in. But uh, uh, at any rate, uh, we're trusting for safety as they, uh, as they make their way back. Well, for the last several weeks, we've been looking at this theme... God said, what? Jesus said, what? It's been good, hasn't it? Right? I mean, there's a lot of texts in the Scripture where you ask yourself, why did Jesus ever say anything like that? He said some strange things, right? I mean, he said, if, if you want to be a master, you need to be a servant, right? He said something like, if you want to be first, you need to be last. He said something like, if you want to live, you need to die. And these are strange statements on any given day of the week. But in the text that we're going to look at today, which is found over in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35, I think Jesus says some of the strangest things he's ever said anywhere because what he says in this text, almost every place else in the New Testament, he says exactly the reverse interesting. Let me read the text for you. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple." Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you sit down first and estimate the cost to see if you've got enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it's going to ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose that a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he sit down first and consider that is he able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000 men? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other's still a long way off, and he will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now imagine you're listening to Jesus. You're listening to what he says here, and he tells you to hate your father to hate your mother, to hate your sister, to hate your brother, to hate your wife, to hate your children, 
You're going to say, Jesus said, what? Right? And you're going, to, you're going to raise that question because it's such a strange thing to hate. Now, if Jesus had said, listen, I want you to hate evil, you'd say, right on. Right? If Jesus said, I want you to hate sin, right on. But he says, father, mother, sister, brother, wife, children, and, and yourself. This is almost incomprehensible. And how could Jesus do this kind of thing when it goes contrary to everything he says elsewhere in the New Testament? On one occasion, Matthew 22, Jesus is asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? What's he say? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then he says, the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbors as yourself. And then as Jim pointed out so adequately last week, it isn't just your neighbors, because remember in the parable of, of the Good Samaritan, the Pharisee asked the question, Lord, who is my neighbor? Because he really doesn't want to love everybody. He wants to limit his responsibility. Jesus says, love those who hate you. Do good to those who despise you and persecute you. And then he says to his followers, the disciples, here is the sign qua non, the, 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 the true indication that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. So what's going on in this text? Is this a contradiction? Or has Jesus made a mistake? Has he forgotten what he said before? Or has he changed his mind? All good questions, right? But none of them are the right answer. I want you to think this morning about a linguistic term, this term hyperbole. Jesus is using hyperbole. You say, Lou, we, we don't like big words, okay? You all know hyperbole, okay? You all know it. You may not be able to define it. Man, I'm so hungry. I could eat a horse. She is so skinny, she's like a toothpick. My feet are killing me. Hmm. My handbag weighs a ton. Now check Marguerite's out. She's working on that, I can tell you, okay? Every year I have to fight not a bigger handbag, okay? Not a bigger handbag. Okay. Here's the deal. None of those statements are literally true, are they? Okay. The handbag's heavy. Doesn't weigh a ton. Your feet might be really sore, but they're not killing you. Okay. She might be really thin, but whatever else she is, she's not a toothpick. Notice I didn't say he might be really thin. Okay. In fact, I was having a discussion with Kevin this morning. It's, it's one of the 
you know, you're riding in the car alone and you're thinking these really heavy thoughts. And I was thinking like, how come when you get old, your hair gets thin, but your body doesn't? Yeah, that was a brilliant thought, right? I mean, where'd that come from? I have no idea. It came from, I put my fingers through my hair and thought, man, there's going to be less of that stuff. You know, you might be hungry, but on your very, very best day, you couldn't eat a horse. In fact, Moe's Restaurant, right down here in Oakville, dares you on a Saturday morning to eat their oversized breakfast. And it's nowhere near the size of a horse. It's 35 bucks for the trial. I haven't tried it. I, I haven't actually even thought about it. I can't get through the regular one. But you understand what I'm saying? We use exaggerations to, to stress a point, and it happens in the New Testament too. We actually saw it on the screen this morning. There was a quote from the Gospel of John in one of the hymns. Remember he said, were the whole ocean ink and were the whole sky a pad, a writing pad, that whole scroll couldn't contain the whole of what Jesus said. And if you're young, you're looking at me and saying, I could put that on a memory stick. Right? John wasn't trying to say that exactly. What he was trying to say is Jesus did a whole lot more than I recorded in this gospel. A lot more. Or take the psalmist over in Psalm 103 and verse 12 where he says this. As far as the east is from the west... Don't you love this one? As far as the east is from the west, so far are your transgressions removed from you. Now think about this. Do you think the psalmist ever thought for a moment, you're going to say, okay, where is zero point west? Where is zero point east? And is it 32,000 kilometers between them? Or, yeah, that's, the statement was never meant for that. Your sins have been so far removed, whether it's 32,000 kilometers, whether it's 10 light years, who cares? They don't bother you anymore. They've been removed far enough that you're done with them. You see, hyperboles, as I said, are statements that are made to stress a point. But who's Jesus trying to stress the point to? So if you have your Bible in front of you, take a look at chapter 14 and verse 1. And in chapter 14 and verse 1, we are told that Jesus is at the house of a Pharisee. Okay? And while he's at the house of a Pharisee, Pharisees kind of liked checking Jesus out. You see, Pharisees thought that Jesus was a fraud. They didn't think he was the real thing. They thought he might be a maniac. They certainly thought he was demon-possessed. And they were watching for him. It says in the text, as you see it right in your text, they were watching him very carefully. Very carefully. They wanted him to make a mistake. They wanted him to prove somehow that he wasn't, in fact, the Messiah that he claimed to be. They have zero interest in following Jesus. When you come down now to verse 25, the text says that large crowds are following Jesus. 
I want to emphasize they were large crowds, not the disciples. There's only 12 disciples, right? It's not the women who are listed, for example, in Luke chapter 8. There were six or seven of them. It's not even the people who followed Jesus from the very beginning, from the time of John the Baptist. That's still a small group. Large crowds were following Jesus, and we remember on occasion that sometimes the crowds following him numbered 5,000 plus women and children. On another occasion, 4,000 plus women and children. Now, what were these crowds doing? Well, when you think about what these crowds were doing, they're wondering, some of them, is this the Messiah? Some of them are wondering, (laughs) will he do another miracle? And some of them, who are kind of like me, be saying there, hey, do you think he can do something else to really frustrate the Pharisees? Because that's my favorite part of what Jesus does. I just like watching him. They ask him tricky questions, and he asks them trickier questions. They say you can't do a miracle on Saturday, and that just says, I'm doing a miracle on Saturday. I I love it. So I I could fit in this crowd, okay? But you have to understand, this crowd has absolutely no idea of what it means to follow Jesus. No idea. They're just checking him out. And so Jesus wants to shock them into reality. See, that's where this hyperbole and contrast all comes into play. He's going to shock them into reality. They're just taking a look, and he wants them to think really seriously about what they're looking at. So he says things like this, listen, unless you hate your father and your mother and your sister and your brother and your wife and your children and yourself, you can't be my disciple. And unless you take up your cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. It's interesting. See? That's the audience. See? Jesus actually looks at these people and is saying something like this. You want to follow me? You want to follow me? You need to know what you're doing. You actually need to think about the cost of what it means to follow me. And then Jesus goes on, okay, and he talks about a number of things. He says this. In one sense, he says this. When you follow me, Everything else is second. That's what following Jesus is. Everything else is second. Your wife isn't first. Your mother's not first. Your husband isn't first. Your kids aren't first. Your mother-in-law's not first, and that's okay. You notice Jesus didn't include that in the list, right? He didn't need to. But you get the point. You get the point as to what's going on here, right? Jesus first. He puts it a different way when you read in the Gospel of Matthew. He says what? No one can serve 
two masters. You just can't serve two masters. You're going to try to serve one, you're going to hate the other, you're going to hate the other one and follow the other. It just doesn't work to try to follow two masters. Why? Because neither master is happy. A number of years ago, a man by the name of Stephen Covey wrote a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Before we get to that, let me talk about what caused Covey to write the book. As he looked at people, he saw people like puppets on a string, okay? Those little shows you see the puppets moving around. Somebody pulls the string and the puppet jumps, right? And that's the way many of us live our lives, you know? Somebody pulls a string and the puppet does his dance, and that's what we're doing in our lives. We're dancing, 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 dancing. You know that? You know, you got the wife dance, right? The wife comes in, catches you doing something. You're like, oh, I got to straighten out, right? I put on the wife dance. Husband comes home. Oh, dear, so good to see you. I've missed you all day, baloney. Like, okay, I was having a good time before you got here, so she puts on the husband dance. You know, we got the kids dance. Oh, it's so great to see you. I just love you coming in the middle of my TV program. You know, on and on this stuff goes, right? We're dancing all the time. Somebody pulls the string, we dance. Even the mother-in-law. We serve two masters, three masters, four masters, five masters, seven masters. Nobody is happy. Nobody's happy. That's what Covey wrote about. He said you can live a life that is performance-oriented, act for everybody, or you can make a choice and become principle-oriented, one principle of the focus of your life, and that's what the seven habits are actually about. You come to habit two and says this, you've got to start with the end in mind. Start with the end in view, and the third principle is exactly like it when he says what? First things first. You've got to choose what direction you're going to move. You have to have a fixed point, and once you have a fixed point, you can move in that direction step by step, first things first. Here's what I want you to know. Stephen Covey didn't invent these principles. Jesus did. There's 2,000 years between Stephen Covey and Jesus. These principles have been around for a long, long time. And here's what I'm saying first this morning, and I think it's what Jesus is saying in this text first this morning. Set your spiritual GPS on Jesus. That's the destination of your life, to be like Jesus. Set your spiritual GPS on Jesus. And by the way, when you're thinking about that, you say, well, I don't know about that, you know. You need to understand something about that. Jesus had a spiritual GPS himself, and his spiritual GPS was set on the Father. John chapter 8 and verse 29, Jesus says this, I do always only those things. That's a pretty exclusive statement, right? I do always only those things that are pleasing to the Father. What's the plan of the Father and the plan of the Son? That plan involves the cross. And so as you read the Gospel of Luke and you come to chapter 9 and verse 51, 
Luke tells us Jesus resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem. What's Luke telling us? Jesus is headed for the cross. John chapter 12 tells us that when Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, he knows exactly what's going to happen, and he says this, Father, what should I say? Shall I say, save me out of this hour? Of course not. It's for this very hour that I came into the world. (laughs) The spiritual GPS is focused in his life. I like the way it's put in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, and about verses 2 and 3. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Set your spiritual GPS on Jesus. And you're going to say, Lou, what about, what about, what about? What about my wife? What about her? Oh, I mean, I won't say that. Marguerite said something to me in a car this morning. It was really, really funny. We were talking about how long we've been married, and we're not quite at 25 years yet, but we're working on it. Uh, I'm, I'm planning on keeping her. And, and we said, you know what? We're, we're together so much that 25 years is probably equal to 50 years in time. And I said, what do you mean by that? Somebody starts telling you that a 25-year marriage seems like 50 years. I don't know that's a really good sign, do you? (laughs) I'm trying to take it the other way. I'll struggle with that for a day or two, but I think she she really meant it for good. She'll quibble with me over English later as to how I misquoted her. That's what happens when you marry an ESL person, right? You always have to check you got your I's dotted, your T's crossed, your commas in the right place, and whatever. And she doesn't like the way I do some English. It's okay. I break the rules because I want to. Right? What about? What about my wife? Here's the thing. Nobody loves your wife more than Jesus. So if you love your wife the way Jesus wants you to love your wife, she's going to wonder why she's being treated better than ever before. What about? What about my children? And nobody loves your children more than Jesus. If you treat your children the way Jesus would treat your children. If you love your children the way Jesus would love your children, they're going to know they're loved. That's the answer to the what about. Once you have this values focus in your life, once Jesus is the focal point in your life, once he's the, the spiritual destination and becoming like him becomes all important, all of a sudden your relationships change. That's what happens. Following Christ reflects in all of our other relationships. Now, somebody will say this morning, boy, that sounds like a piece of cake, right? That's, that's easy. Anybody can do that kind of thing. It's just so, so easy. Well, 
Anybody tell you that when you became a believer? Said, you know what, following Jesus, just follow Jesus and everything's going to be easy. Did anybody ever heard that? I heard that for sure. Am I the only person ever heard that? I don't think so. And anyway, what I can tell you is this. My experience was quite different than what they told me. Because following Jesus isn't all that easy, right? There's a lot of difficulty. When you get serious and say, I'm going to follow Jesus, he's my GPS, and I'm going to do everything he does, and I want to do it the right way, that things get really tough. And Jesus wants us to know that. That's why in the text he actually spends more time telling you to evaluate the cost than he tells you about anything else, right? He gives you these two incredible illustrations. He says, look at this guy who wants to build a house. He needs to think about it. He needs to think about, does he have the money and does he have the material? If he doesn't have the money and the material, he's going to look like a fool, He says of a second person, of a king who's got an army with 10,000, maybe they're the best trained troops ever, and maybe he can beat an army with 20,000, but if he can't, if he doesn't have better troops and a better strategy, think about it. Might be better for him to make peace. So that's what Jesus wants us to understand. Uh, Know the cost. Know the cost. And what is the cost? The cost is this. Take up your cross. Deny yourself. Follow me. I've heard a lot of people talk about the cross. You probably have too. I've had some men tell me on occasion, you know what, Lou? My cross is my wife. I've spent a lot of years in counseling. I've heard more stuff, and Jim's heard even more than I have, I'm telling you. My cross is my wife. My cross is my kids. My my cross is my husband. My cross is my finance. My cross is my boss. You know what? This kind of nonsense can only happen in our society today. When Jesus said, take up your cross, there wasn't anybody listening to him who thought that cross meant anything about his wife or his kids or his boss or whatever. They knew exactly what a cross meant. They saw every day what a cross meant. They saw men carrying their crosses to a hill outside of town. They knew exactly what was going to happen on that cross. Wasn't anything about his wife, wasn't anything about his kids, wasn't anything about his job or his boss or anything. It was about death. That's what happened on a cross. Now, I don't know about you, but a lot of people actually don't want to die. And you can just feel self inside you saying, hey, wait a second. I'm not sure that's a really very good idea. I like being numero uno. I like calling the shots in my life. I like being self-directed. I like being assertive. I like being whatever. I think we got so many wonderful terms today for being selfish, right? I like realizing myself. But the call of Jesus is different than that. And the New Testament speaks about it very differently. 
The Apostle Paul says, for example, about his call, I have been crucified with Christ. He says in Colossians 3 to the Colossians church, you are dead with Christ. He says in Romans chapter 6, reckon yourselves indeed dead unto sin and alive in Christ. I like the way that Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it. When Christ calls a man, he wrote in the 40s, so it's okay to use that word. When Christ called a man, he called that man to die. I suppose I should change it to be Canadian proactive present. When Christ calls a person, he calls that person to die. Interesting. See, the cross that we bear is the cross on which our sinful self is put to death. And it's where we become very much like Jesus. If we're Christians, it's where we become very much like Jesus. Just as Jesus said, not my will, but thy will. Just as Jesus goes to the cross to fulfill the Father's will, the call to us is the same. Not my will. And we're called to the cross. Not my will, but thy will be done. So if the first point is, in one sense, to set your spiritual GPS on Jesus, the second point in this text this morning is follow the leader. Can you see the one goldfish there? I was worried about that at home, but the goldfish in this is Jesus. Follow Jesus. That's what we're talking about. Not just, if you will, setting our GPS on Jesus. I, I don't know about you, but sometimes GPSs really bug me. Especially when they, when they start telling me I'm not going the right way. But I know more in this case than a GPS. I know where I'm going. I'm just not going to wait the GPS. And the GPS keeps saying something like recalculating, recalculating, do a U-turn. Shut up. I know where I'm going. Yeah. Well, that's the way some of us are, right? But in a Christian life, follow the leader. Follow the leader. And as you start trying to follow the leader, by the way, one day Jesus, a man came up to Jesus and he said, you know what, Jesus? I can go wherever you go. It's not a problem. I can go wherever you go. Jesus says, foxes have holes. Birds have nests. The Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. I don't think the guy followed him. Following Jesus is a battle. We could spend a whole other message here. I'm just going to simply mention you have to fight three things. Okay? You've got to fight the devil. 
First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, we have an adversary, the devil, who runs about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The devil doesn't want you to be successful in this. He is against you. You need to know that. Secondly, there's part of you that actually isn't for this. It's what Paul describes as the old man in Romans chapter 7. You know, Paul says, what? The things that I would do and the things that I don't do, the things that, that I don't want to do are the very things that I, that I do. Who will deliver me from this body of sin? Sin. We're used to sinning. Some sins we actually liked. Remember, Moses forsook the pleasures of wickedness. Not all sin makes you unhappy. It's just wrong. And the third thing you fight against is yourself. Been watching the Olympics? Oh, man, I was watching that giant slalom stuff last night, and those guys are so trim and fit and whatever. I mean, like, how come I can't be that way? There's one answer, no discipline. Isn't that what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9? I, I'm, 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 like, I'm like a runner, okay? I'm like a runner, and as a runner, what do I do? I train, and I train, and I train, and I train. The old King James Version said, I buffet my body daily. Well, who talks like that anymore? I discipline myself to bring myself under control. Three battles. And then Jesus says one last thing, because I've got to get off the platform here. Otherwise, I go on overtime. I've got to deal with the elders. If I preach overtime, they pay. I don't really have this deal. He says, salt? What's he talking about salt for? I've been talking about discipleship, discipleship, discipleship. And now he's talking about salt if it loses its saltiness, is useless. You can't even put it on a manure pile. It doesn't do anything good anywhere. What is Jesus talking about that for? Because what Jesus wants you and me to know is that following Jesus is an everyday thing. You better look after your saltiness. Because when you're not disciplining yourself, and when you're not taking care of yourself, and when you're not following Jesus every day, setting in your mind, like Joshua, choose you this day who you're going to serve, but as for me and my house, we're serving God. To make that choice every day, I'm serving God, I'm serving God, I'm following the leader, Jesus is my GPS point, I'm going to get there, that's what I'm going to do. That's what the salt thing is all about. You start sloughing off, and you lose your spiritual strength. You know that? I know that. Stop having your devotions. What happens? You know, stop going to church. It gets easier, right? You just don't go to church a couple weeks. You can kind of get into the habit real easy. Oh, you can do church on TV, and then sooner or later what happens is church on TV is in conflict with the Olympics, and then you can, yeah, you can do church the next week. Church is on every week. The Olympics are only on every four years, and, you know, Compromise is real easy to get into. It's a lot harder to stay out of. Salt 
if it loses its saltiness, is useless. Now, here's what I want you to leave with this morning. These three points. Set your GPS on Jesus. Secondly, having set your GPS on Jesus, follow the leader. If you say, I don't know how to follow the leader, this is a really good help. You got four Gospels that will tell you every day what Jesus said, what Jesus did. Use him as a template. Use him as a model. And whatever you do, keep at it every day. Every day. Early in the morning will I seek him. In the evening, sometime, set a time on your calendar where the bell rings loud and clear, time to meet with Jesus. You need that every day. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning for the opportunity to look into your word. It's sharp, it's powerful, uh, it's instructive, it's encouraging. And by the way, Father, I, I forgot to mention that We've got to, we have somebody to help us. Greater is the one who's in us than who's in the world. We have the Spirit of God who freed us from the law of sin and death, who indwells us and gives us power to live in victory over sin. We're more than conquerors. Thank you for your help in our lives. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.